This is Focal Point for Wednesday, the 16th of April, 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Padney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hi, Chris. How are you going? I'm well, Gihan. I'm feeling nostalgic. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling a bit nostalgic as well. You're thinking about what we're going to be talking about. Um, I've just come back from a two- or three-week trip around uh, the east coast of Australia and to Auckland. So I've been to Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Hobart, and Auckland, and now I'm back in Perth. But I was quite pleased that that internet access around the country, even for travellers, was pretty good. And I took my laptop with me, and I was able to connect in hotels. I was able to connect through my mobile phone, through my normal wireless network, and um, just wherever I went. It didn't, I didn't have to rely on just going into internet, internet cafes and just reading webmail. It's now become fairly commonplace that you can access the internet from anywhere you go. That, that kind of leads to what we're going to talk about today. I remember at the beginning of the year we did our predictions for 2008 and I think one of your predictions was uh, about mobility, about accessing the internet from mobile devices um, on the road or in hotels or wherever. Uh, we're starting to move away from just getting onto the internet in the home office or at work. We're starting to uh, access the internet from places um, other than the office and outside the home. That's right, that's right. So maybe some of that prediction is coming true. It's certainly we've got the, we seem to have the infrastructure now. One of the other things I was talking about is actually accessing it from, not just from PCs, even laptop PCs. We'd be able to access it from phones and little pocket PCs and other devices. And that's kind of on the way as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the context of what we're going to talk about today, I think that's one of the big changes that we can look forward to, this ubiquity of access to the internet, no matter where we are, and through a variety of devices. So, as you've just pointed out, mobile devices, but even more mundane things, I think, in the future will have uh, will be internet-enabled. Tell me what you mean by that. Um, well, uh, there is one counterexample. That you, I, can, I don't know if you remember this. It was the internet fridge back in the dot-com boom. There was an idea yes. that um, we'd put our fridges online, and um, when food stocks started to run low, it would uh, it would um, send a, the fridge would uh, detect this and send a message to our online grocer, and uh, lo and behold, milk would turn up, and uh, we wouldn't have to do anything. Um, that never came to fruition, but that was probably a product of the the dot com uh, bubble bursting. But I think um, people are starting to think about that kind of idea again making all kinds of devices, not just um, laptop PCs and, and mobile phones or MP3 players, but cl- things like clothing, for example, starting to make them um, able to connect using Wi-Fi or, or wireless broadband and then just having access to the internet and then then the kind of possibilities from, from, from that point of view are, well, they're kind of endless. Yes, and I, I remember one another idea around about the same time as the internet fridge idea was something which I think is possible now and it is feasible and is in use where you could control your air conditioner remotely. So an hour before when you're working at home in your office and you didn't want to leave the air conditioner on all day but you wanted your home to be cool when you got back in the middle of summer, you could connect here, you could turn your air conditioner on remotely by connecting it to it via the internet. 
Right, yes, great idea. Yeah, so those sort of things are the sort of things that might be happening in the future. And who knows what the future will bring, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. That's right. This came out of a comment that we made in the in the previous podcast, because one of our friends, uh, Kathleen, Dr. Kathleen Franklin, who's a, a long-term friend of both of ours, uh, we've known Kathleen for about 20 years, and she's known your wife, Cherie, for even longer, since primary school, I think. Is that right, Chris? I think it's since, yeah, it's not quite, since high school days, so still a long time. Yes, still, yes. And now Kathleen's a, a friend, a business partner of mine, and she's just had a baby. In fact, it was two weeks ago, and we were speculating about what her what her new child, Isabel Ann, will face in, um, let's say, around about the time of her 21st birthday, because coincidentally, you and I, Chris, have been using the internet this year for 21 years as well. And we thought, well, let's look back at what it was like 21 years ago and maybe have some some uh, ideas about what Isabel has to face 21 years from now. Yeah, given the changes that you and I have witnessed in uh, 21 years of internet usage, um, I think it's going to be difficult to pinpoint precisely what sort of things Isabel's going to be enjoying as far as the internet is concerned in 21 years. But one thing I think we can say with confidence is that the trajectory of change that we've experienced is going to continue for the next 21 years, and so um, there's going to be just so much, so much difference between what we're doing now with the internet and what's being, what will be done in 21 years, um, much as uh, much as has transpired over the previous 21 years. Even in 1987, which is when we were, when we first started using the internet, I was thinking about how much has progressed even in the previous 21 years because I've just been reading a book which is about the very early days of the internet it's called Where Wizards Stay Up Late and it just chronicles about the, the, the birth of the internet and there's a myth uh, that's, that was very prevalent even at that time that the internet was created by the US military as a way of decentralizing their command network so that if, the, if they were hit by a Soviet missile um, if they didn't, there wasn't a there wasn't a central command that could be knocked out in one in one hit. That you could decentralize everything so that uh, instead of having a single computer, you'd have a computer network. Uh, and that was the that's there was a myth propagated through the media that that's how the internet came to be. And actually, that wasn't the case. It was um, it certainly was created by an arm of the U.S. Department of Defense, but then it was handed over basically to academia and it really grew through the academic community as a way of people sharing ideas. What actually happened being used in the academic community is how we got to use it because when we were studying for our undergraduate degree in, in computer science at the University of Western Australia, that's where we first started using what was then a very, you know, by, by today's standards, a very rudimentary, very early version of the internet that we have today. That's right. So back in '87, when you and I were both um, computer science undergrads, the internet, as we knew it, was primarily um, email and something called Usenet or news groups. So uh, they were like discussion forums. Um, but that's pretty much what they were. They were discussion forums where um, people got together to um, post questions and, and post answers on specific topics of interest. And that was pretty much uh, pretty much it for for our usage, wasn't it? Yes, it was, and it's it's it's, it's interesting that both those two things, email is still around, still 
it still operates using the same mechanism that it did 21 years ago. Usenet doesn't, but the concept of Usenet community forums and online discussion groups is still very is still there. And in fact, it's making a comeback uh, in the last couple of years. It's one of those things that this whole Web 2.0 concept has revitalized the idea of people participating in online forums rather than just doing one-off publishing of websites. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. It's As we said with Web 2.0, it's this architecture of participation which really makes it work, or the word that you prefer to use uh, is community. And that's what Usenet and news groups were all about 21 years ago. They were communities of people who had interests in common um, getting together online and and talking about those topics, and so the internet kind of got sidetracked by the world uh, by the world uh, can't even say it the world wide web. I'm being sidetracked, and then the, the the idea of community was picked up again on the web. This time, Web 2.0, when uh, online forums and other social networking websites uh, um, started to use this community idea again. Yes, I guess that in 1987, when we were using the internet, we couldn't even envisage having a sort of graphical web pages the way that you know, 10 years later they were, they were becoming common and becoming really well known. But I guess at the time, the, the technology even with computer screens, uh, I remember we were doing work in computer graphics and it, it was all fairly low level stuff that it was very technical to draw pictures on a, on a computer screen and now it's just taken for granted that you just upload a picture and there it is. So I think, Gihan, that, that sort of illustrates what has changed and what has, has stayed the same as far as the internet over the past 21 years. So the technology that, we, that we've been using to access the internet, that's what's changed. But the, the social aspects, that is one-to-one -one communication using things like email or one-to-many communication using email, or community and social communication using things like Usenet back then or Web 2.0 now, those social dynamics are pretty much unchanged. Um, but the technology, the way we've accessed the, the Internet, as well as the ubiquity and the number of people and the size of the Internet, that's grown as well, obviously, in the past 21 years. So do you think that's going to stay the same, that, you, that we'll still have the... That even the te technology might imp improve, some of the social aspects of it will remain the same? I think uh, those underpinning social aspects are going to change, are going to stay the same, but I think they might they might lead to different kinds of um, social dynamics as well. So, for instance, things like Gen, Gen Y, Generation Y, how they use the internet compared with Gen Xs like you and me, Gihan. I think there's a different a different approach that um, those two generations of um, of, of of people use the internet. So I think. Still, the underlying dynamics will be the same, one-to-one, one-to-many, and many-to-many -many kind of thing. But they'll always remain the same. But uh, the level and the way in which people use the Internet, because you and I, we haven't grown up most of our lives with the Internet, maybe half of our lives we've had the Internet, whereas Isabel and her contemporaries will have had the Internet there since the day they were born. That's an interesting difference, isn't it? Because it's, I know when I deal with my clients, it's, I say, okay, how do you use the Internet as part of your marketing strategy? And they see it as something that they have to then integrate with what else they're doing. Whereas Isabel and your daughter Lauren and my nephew and niece, Riley and Abby, who are now even younger than Generation Y, they're the next generation, the millennials, as I've heard them referred to. Um, right. They, they don't even see that as anything different. It's not something new. They don't see it as technology or the Internet. It's just part of their everyday life. 
it's as, it's yeah. as natural to them to type something on a keyboard as it is to pick up a phone or to you know open a car door. But as you said, Generation Y is the first generation that's growing up with internet and technologies related to it, such as iPods um, and SMS and mobile phones. They're just growing up with that as part of their life, not part of their not only part of their business life which is perhaps where Generation X is like, like we, have grown up with those sort of things in our, in our work life and then migrated that to our personal lives. I flew back from Auckland yesterday evening and my brother-in-law, Neil, um, came and picked me up from the airport and he brought Riley with him. Now, Riley's my nephew, Riley. He's five. He's completely comfortable using an iPod, so he knows how to control an iPod to, to watch the wiggles on, on my little video iPod. He can put the headphones in. He knows how to pause it, put it on hold um, to stop it from, from jiggling around. And for him, that's just, that's just normal. And yesterday, I showed him how I use my GPS. So I took a GPS with me when I, we had a, I went with a friend on a little bit of a holiday to Tasmania. And we had a car, and I took my little GPS along so we could find our way around. And for for me, it was really the first time I'd really used the GPS in anger, if you like. Like, I used it a little bit around Perth, but not much because I know where I'm going. But for me, it was the first time I used it um, really seriously. And for three whole days, we we didn't look at a map. We relied on GPS all the time. Now, for Riley growing up, that will be the only thing he uses. And from the age of five, he will, he will get, kind of get used to the idea that if you're driving around, you will you should have a GPS in your car, not a street directory. So it's just part of like that technology is just going to be a natural part of his life. It's it's interesting because that raises questions about um, what skills will become obsolete as a, perhaps an unintended consequence of having this kind of technology at our fingertips. I, by coincidence, I heard about a website, it's like a Wikipedia, or it's a wiki website, where people can um, go and uh, document skills that have become obsolescent due to, due to technology, so things like a rotary-dialed telephone, things like uh, using one of those is becoming obsolescent because those kinds of devices no longer exist. And I wonder whether something like map reading and being able to navigate uh, from a street directory will become another obsolescent skill or technology because we'll have, we'll have navmans or tom-toms or whatever whenever we hop into a car or even in our uh, in a mobile device like a mobile phone so that if we want to go somewhere we don't need to work it out for ourselves because we have the technology at our fingertips to enable us to do that. Well, I think you're right, Chris. I think in the same way that calculators have pretty much made the whole idea of long division obsolete, there will be other tools like this that will make other other skills obsolete as well. Um, I think I just look at Google and now it's now, for the last few years, Google has pretty much been the number one search engine. And I remember years ago when the when I first started my business, so about nine or ten years ago, a couple of years after I started my business, I was running internet seminars in schools, not for the kids, but for the teachers and the parents, so they could learn about the World Wide Web. They were kind of like catching up with their kids, actually. And yeah. uh, it was like we'd run a two-hour seminar in the evening just showing them how to find information using the internet. And this was before Google, and Google killed my business. Because as right. soon as Google came along, I had these 20 questions that I'd get people to, to, to research, and they had to look up Yahoo and AltaVista and Ask Jeeves, a whole bunch of other search engines. And 
they had to know which one to use to answer which particular kind of question. But then Google came along and they could just type in the questions word for word into Google and it would be smart enough to define the answer for them pretty much on the first couple of pages of their search. So that whole idea of doing research and being smart about research, even within the life of the World Wide Web, has become obsolete, almost, that skill. Right, yes. Yeah. Something I read yesterday, it was just a a Slashdot article, was about a a researcher in um, one of Australia's Eastern States universities, sort of talking about Wikipedia and the way that we have this easy access to um, an, an, an online encyclopedia. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the millennials are going to grow up with this information resource available to them. Um, so it makes one wonder whether, as they're educated, as they grow up and go through the, the formal schooling system, whether some of the things that we've been talking about in previous podcasts about um, looking out for pseudoscience, checking, doing some, looking for corroborating evidence and following up citations on resources like Wikipedia, Knowing that the information that they're that they're gathering there has been hasn't been through, say, a peer-reviewed process. It's not like a Encyclopedia Britannica, or it's not like a a textbook that might have gone through the education department's vetting processes. Because we've got this information available at Wikipedia, will the form, will they be educated to use Wikipedia in a constructive way to make sure that they're aware of how the information that Wikipedia and other other online resources present to them? I remember reading something similar to that, Chris, and we may have talked about this in the podcast, where there are some universities that don't allow students to cite Wikipedia, simply because the students could create a Wikipedia page themselves about whatever topic they're they're quoting, and then quote and then cite that in their bibliography. So there's a whole idea of what like what does what does that instant access to information mean? Um, for example, there's another there's an association that I used to be a member of, and now I've, my membership lapsed, and I haven't applied again. And uh, I was recently talking to some people in the association about renewing my membership, and I I just said, look, it's easy for me to do. I qualify for everything. I just have to write a 2,000 word essay about about the association and answer these 20 questions. And two people said to me, and two past presidents of the association said to me, why don't you just, just get somebody on Elance to write it for you? Uh-huh. you know, and now that would be considered cheating, or would it be considered smart use of internet skills? So is it the facts that are important, or is it the way that you can get the information? Um, and I think um, it's, that it's more and more the, the skills that we require are changing as you say, some skills are becoming obsolete, such as knowing, having lots of facts at your fingertips, um, whereas other skills are becoming more useful, such as being able to use your fingertips to find out the facts that you need to know when you need to know them. Yeah, I was just going to add to, it, add to that, and uh, using critical thinking so that you're, you know that the information that you are consuming is, um, is correct. Yes, exactly, exactly, and that, going back to the topics that we've spoken about in the last three or four podcasts. And I I remember hearing Henry Ford quoted once. Uh, he was put before a panel of uh, people who were trying to bring him down, saying that he wasn't a very educated man, and they asked him a whole bunch of factual questions. 
uh, which they knew he wouldn't know the answer to. And he replied and said, look, I don't know the answer, but within five minutes I can bring in one of my team who can find out the answer for me. And so even at that time, Henry Ford realized the value of not necessarily knowing just the facts, but knowing how to find out the answers. And um, I think that's a skill that's going to become more and more valuable for for Isabel, for Lauren, for Riley, and for Abby. Yeah, it certainly is, and, and that's my hope that uh, the people who are responsible for devising the curricula and so forth don't sort of take a reactionary point of view and say, well, you can't use Wikipedia, you can't use um, Google, you can't do this, you can't do that, but rather to say, well, you, you can do what you like and give them the skills that uh, equip them so that they can use things like Wikipedia and Google and the Internet in a way that enables them to get the right answer, to find out the information they're seeking, um, rather than being concerned about, rather than sort of just putting a fence around it and saying, well, you know, it's Wikipedia or it's Google, so it can't be trusted. Mm. I think you're right. I think it's about, if you're going to say no to something, say no because you understand it and you've thought it through, and then you say, this isn't right for you, rather than, this is new, I don't understand it, therefore I'm going to ban it or prohibit it. Um, this came up in the, uh, the reason I was in Auckland was I was running a two-day internet marketing workshop and I was teaching people how to do things like blogging and podcasting and putting videos on YouTube. And one of the points I made was I said, look, not everything in here will be applicable to you and will be appropriate for you for your business right now. So part of what I want you to know is which bits you're going to say no to. But I'd like you to say no because you've thought about it and you realize it doesn't fit not because it's just something new that you don't have the time or you don't have the knowledge to understand. And I think that's going to be a really big thing, um, particularly for the for the next 21 years of the Internet, because it's not going to get any slower. If anything, it's going to get faster in terms of growth and change. So as we come to the end of the podcast, Chris, um, I'm pretty confident that the only prediction that we can make for the future is that we have no idea what it's going to look like in 21 years from now. What advice would you give people, though, as they're facing life as it is today? So you, you, we know that you have no idea what things are going to look like in the future, but what, what advice can you give for people to, to make best use of the internet and technology as they're progressing through life on a day-by-day -day basis? I think it's something that we've said several times uh, before, the whole Web 2.0 concept, and that is get into it and uh, participate. That's the only way that you're going to find out what is right for you, what isn't the right thing for you. So get in there, dive in, and um, make use of it, and you'll, you'll find your own way, I think. Which is a bit scary for some people, isn't it? Especially if you're the sort of person who likes to look ahead and say, why am I doing this? Uh, there are a number of Web 2.0 things and a number of technology tools where until you actually start using them and experience them, you won't even know why you could be doing it. There's no way that somebody can tell you. It's one of those things that your experience will create wise for you. And I found that a number of times. I started, when, I, when I got my iPod, I suddenly realized that there were things that I could do with it, which I didn't even realize I was missing out on. I didn't realize how poor my life was without it. Um, and there are things, there are other things like that. All joking aside, there are other things where you really have to experience it first to realise how you could make how you could make use of it. And I hope that mm -hmm. Kat, I'm sure Kathleen will be 
encouraging Isabel to do that, Kathleen with her scientific background. I'm sure you do the same with Lauren. And I know Ayumi and Neil, my, bro- my sister and brother-in-law, do the same with Abby and Riley. Yes, and I, I'll, I'll finish by stealing a comment from one of my friends, uh, Brandon. Brandon Munro is a friend of mine who's a very smart guy, very entrepreneurial thinking guy. He lives in Prague now, and when I visited him in October last year, we were talking about various ideas on how to become internet multimillionaires and billionaires. And um, he, made the, he made a very wise observation. He said that if you know what your internet strategy is now, you're already behind. So he realized that you just can't, you can't set out with a plan. You have to set out with some of the fundamentals, such as community, building up, um, building up a group of people who might be potential customers in the future. You just don't know what they're going to be customers for. And uh, I think that that whole idea of community and participation, which was around 21 years ago when we first started using the Internet, Chris, is still going to be around when Lauren and Isabel and Abby and Riley turn 21 sometime in the future. I certainly hope so. So thanks again for your time. Very interesting conversation we had as usual. Good good session. Thanks, Gihan. Good to talk to you too. And then enjoy your holiday next week. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.